by the time you figure the math of the children uh, that were involved, we see the math in this chapter of about 120,000 children or so, and you start putting all these numbers together. A lot of historians would agree that the great city of Nineveh had probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 600,000 people and their population strong. They were a great, great city, a large city, a place of commerce, a place where uh, trade, it was an epicenter of trade and power. It was a place where exchange happened and they became proud of themselves. And they became self-sufficient in who they were and what they were doing. And the Lord said, I'm getting ready to send a man that I want you to tell them that their arrogance, their pride has come up before me and that I'm calling them to repent. And so the story goes that Jonah, he makes his way down to uh, the local boat dock and he starts buying his ticket and something inside of him just happens. And he says, well, you know, the Lord wants me to go to Nineveh, but it's a little bit cheaper if I buy a ticket to Tarshish first. I don't really want to go to Nineveh. And I feel like the lesson that you and I must learn through this story is that, number one, the will of God will always cost you more than abandoning the will of God in the present. But the long haul is that the most expensive thing you could do in your life is to avoid what costs you the most right now. I'm trying to break this down Gerber style where somebody can get it down in your soul. If you look at it right now and say, well, it costs me too much right now. I wonder how many have felt that way that have lived their life for God and finally made it to the end and crossed over to the other side, so to speak. And when they stand before the Lord, they're going to look back over their life and say, man, that was too much. It cost too much. It was too expensive for me, for me to stop dressing like that and living like that and going those places and dancing in nightclubs and doing this and doing that. How many people do you honestly think will stand in the presence of God in paradise in heaven and say, this costs way too much? Wasn't worth it. It absolutely was not worth it. And people look at ministries and say, oh, I want the power of that ministry. I want what that preacher's got. I want what that church has got. I want what that family has. I want what that individual has. And you haven't been through what they've been through. And you haven't had to learn lessons that they've had to learn. I know I, I, I remember as a kid preacher looking up at folks and thinking, oh, dear God, the, I, I just can't wait until you start preaching conferences, until you start preaching conferences. And then you realize the bigger the crowd, the bigger of a target you are. And the more arrows that are pointed your direction. You listen to this preacher. When I tell you tonight, there are no shortcuts to breakthrough. There are no no shortcuts to revival. There are no shortcuts to harvest. The power of repentance in this hour is that we check our spirits and say, Lord, I've been counting the cost for way too long. And I've been telling you how expensive I thought it was. But tonight I'm making a decision that it doesn't matter what it costs me. I'll lay everything I've got down no matter what I've had to lose in the process. I may have lost some things that I could have gained along the way. But I'm willing to pick up the broken pieces and do the will of God. So the principle is very simply that doing the right thing will always cost you the most. And so the Lord 
said, well, I, I need you to tell them their wickedness has come before me and I need them to repent. Now, I don't know how you feel about this so much, but I'm not really the kind of guy that just prefers to walk into a city of non-Jews as a Jewish man and say, listen here, you wicked fools. One of the strongest cities in the known world and just walk in there and say, hey, I've come with a message for you. God's sick of you. Sometimes I feel like if they'd give me a microphone, they'd reach across America. I'd be happy to right now. I'd like to take me the loudest speaker I could get and put it in the middle of some of these cities right now. You know why? Because some folks are thinking that this is going to be fixed in November. I think it's going to be fixed in a prayer room. That's what I think. I think somebody ought to be preaching. This ought to disturb us when we look at cities like this. It ought to disturb us. When you start looking in in metro areas, I was with uh, a precious friend of mine in California some time ago, Brother Allard, and he said to me, we were in a certain area, and he said, bro, right here in this area, he said there are 600,000 people in this valley area right here and not one apostolic church. And then we got apostolic churches all throughout the Bible Belt. You can throw a rock from one church to the other in Louisiana, and we're still trying to figure out what in the world are we going to do? Why why does it cost us this much to be apostolic? How much can we get by without? And while we're trying to figure out how many standards we can do or do without, people are rioting in the streets and looking for answers. Folks, we don't need a bunch of Facebook professors that feel like they've got answers. If my people, which are called by my name, we need somebody that will shout the truth if God felt like a politician could have fixed Nineveh he would have changed the heart of a king but God sent a preacher to Nineveh and I'll give you a hundred dollar bill if you can tell me where Jonah found the church building and the pulpit in the church that he went to preach in in Nineveh. Because he didn't preach in a pulpit. He preached in the streets. And God elevated him and gave him a place where the city could hear him. I don't know how much preaching time I'm going to get. I don't know how much preaching time I'm going to get. I wonder if that crossed his mind when he said, I'll take the ticket to Tarshish. So he gets on the boat and all of a sudden, he find out that Jonah's asleep, and he's laying down in the ship sleeping, and a storm comes along, and all of the men on the, on the ship, they start calling on their gods, and crying out to their gods. And somebody says, what about the dude that's down there sleeping? Maybe he's got an answer. I don't know. Let's, let's go down. So somebody goes to his stateroom, knocks on the door, and says, hey, fella, do you not feel all this rocking and rolling going on? And here's what's sad. Oh, Lord Jesus. Bishop, I don't know if I'm going to get this done tonight. What's sad to me is for people that have truth within them to be able to sleep in the midst of chaos that's rocking the world. It's rocking the world of people who don't understand what God's doing. I don't, I don't look at this, this whole deal that's happening in the earth right now and think, oh my God, what in the world are we going to do? No, no, no. I see it lining up with God's time clock in the Word of God. And we that have the truth are asleep in Zion right now while the whole world is in chaos. 
I think it's a sad, sad day when people of the world are having to knock on the doors of the church and say, hey, are you awake and does this not bother you? My Lord, it's so quiet in here, you can hear a rat licking ice right now. It's a desperate place. People are knocking on the door. I said, you know what the problem is? He said, yeah, I know what the problem is. And I know you're not, re- I know you're not ready for this, folks. I know you're not ready, but put on your big boy britches right now. The problem was not the worldly people. The storm was not created because the worldly people got more worldly. Uh, the storm was happening because the man who knew to do righteousness refused to do righteous. Does God really require that of me? I'm on a boat. It's close to the will of God. It looks kind of like the will of God. But the problem is it's going the opposite direction of the will of God. And I wonder when God starts measuring his church, especially in North America right now, and he starts weighing the church out, I wonder what God is saying to himself when we're still trying to figure out if two or three days a week is still necessary. Trying to figure out every excuse we can to cancel more church than we've ever canceled. Trying to figure out why we're getting further and further away from God. And the world's saying, where's the storm coming from? What's going on? And Jonah wakes up and scratches his head and kind of rubs his eyes a little bit. And he says, sorry guys, I know what the problem is and you're not the problem. The problem is I'm out of the will of God. He said, I'm a Jew, and I'm going against what God told me to do, and I am the reason for the chaos in this boat right now. And somebody looked at him and said, well, then would you please call on your God and make something happen? He said, listen, the only way that you're going to fix this is to get me off of this boat, get me out of this vessel, and let God do the rest. I I know, I know, I know, this doesn't sound like the right thing to do. But you hear this preacher, I would absolutely rather jump off of the wrong ship and die swimming in the direction of the will of God. I would rather die swimming toward my destiny than I would to die out of the will of God on a boat that he never called me to be in. Jonah said, get me out of this boat. Throw me out there. I don't care if it consumes me. I'd rather swim to the will of God than I would to die out of the will of God. So the word of the Lord tells us that there was a great fish. If you've read the Bible, you understand what pastor's telling you is true. The word of the Lord said that it was a great fish that was prepared by God. Now I'm fixing to mess with your head tonight. But there is some power to repentance, true 
to Shuva that I don't think we really understand until we start breaking down this story. I'm going to say this and then I'm going to come back and visit this. But I want you to not forget. Please, please put this down in your mental notes tonight. And when I come back to this, it's going to make sense. But if the true church will come back in true repentance to what God has called us to, God will start working on other things that we should have been working on. And he can expedite processes if we'll come back to what we know to do. I'll get there in a minute. I'm going to prove it to you in the Bible. So this great fish is prepared of the Lord. This was a great happening. Some some people deny that it actually even happened. If you study, uh, I mean, you're going to find a lot of scholars out there that say this this thing never happened with Jonah. It wasn't real. It didn't happen. Why do you believe it happened, Pastor? I believe it happened, first of all, because it's in the Old Testament. The story is there, all four chapters. It's there. It's right, I believe, from Genesis to Revelation that it's right. And I'll tell you a second reason that I believe it's right, because Jesus himself made reference to it. Jesus said, as it was with Noah in the belly of the well for three days, so shall it be the Son of Man in the belly of the earth. I believe that the Lord is using this as type and shadow. Why? Because it's through repentance what happens in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah. Oh, Lord Jesus. And so, so, so Jonah... Gets down in the belly of this, of this great fish prepared by God. And for three days, some would say that it was a wrestling match with God. Some would say that uh, perhaps Jonah uh, became incoherent. That Jonah laid in the, in the uh, that there was a certain chamber prepared. In. For one thing, I think they're, they're trying to study the science of whales and fish that they that they have on record that they know right now. You understand what I'm saying? Scientists are trying to say, well, it couldn't be a sperm well because of this. It couldn't be an oracle well because of this. It couldn't be this kind of well because they don't survive in that kind of environment. Listen, you don't know how God works. You don't know... He's the creator of all things. This was a fish prepared by God. I don't believe this was one of those uh, wells that you can go to SeaWorld and see in the Oracle. I, I don't believe this was Shamu's great grandpa. I believe this was a vehicle that was prepared by God to do a work. Why? Because when God works, it is absolutely no accident. And when he gets finished, you're going to know that God was in it. And so he, he's in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. Some, some really do believe that it was in some incoherent type state, perhaps uh, like a, a Gehenna type state of, of death of the soul. I, I'm going to try to keep this in the shallow end of the pool. I, I don't want to mess with you tonight and, and jump off here where you can't, where you can't catch your breath. But the, the point is very simply that for three days, he is in the belly of restoration. But it didn't feel like restoration. Oh, God. Come on now. In the belly of a fish, lower than low. I believe that fish swam around in the depths of the sea as deep as it could swim. Like in a place lower than Jonah ever imagined being. How crazy is it in a state of being lower than he's ever been? God is working on restoration. There's no way this can be the will of God. 
There's no way I'm in the will of God. This is my punishment because I disobeyed God. Don't you dare let the devil lie to you and tell you this is your punishment. You're low right now because God is doing a restoration work in your God, I feel like preaching on Sunday night. Restoration is working in your life. Think about it now. Wrestling with God in some way, shape, or form, whether wrestling is spirit, wrestling in flesh, seasick. Imagine the smell. And again, I'm not trying to get into science, but if you understand at all how this whole process works, And it could be different in this fish. I don't know. I'm just assuming some things. But if he's actually in the belly of this fish, there would have to be some kind of digestive liquid that's burning the flesh. Don't nobody want to help me preach right there, Bishop, because I just said something about burning up flesh. This don't feel good on my flesh. Well, son, your flesh is what got you in this place. Working on my flesh. He's working on my flesh. You know what? The work of God is always going to work on your flesh. You don't get restored without working on your flesh. Restoration is not just a work of the spirit of God on the spirit of man. It works on the flesh of a man so that the spirit of that man can come in alignment with the spirit of God. So you just keep working on my flesh. For three days. And then I'm, I'm in fast forward mode here because I got some places to go and some, some people to see here. So the principle is that for three days he lays in here and his flesh is getting worked on. He's tossed to and fro and anxiety, I'm sure, or whatever happens. I don't know. There's, there's some things that happen in the darkness of restoration that nobody will ever know. Right. Man, I just preached and I think some of y'all may have missed it right there. Well, you know what really matters, uh, Pastor, I re- it really does matter to me what kind of discipline you're going to have on those people. If God's ever going to use them again, I hope you went through the disciplinary process. You, you, you don't understand restoration. You're trying to figure out what's happening in their restoration and how we're going to judge on a matter and how God's going to judge on a matter. You're trying to figure out vindication while God's just trying to figure out restoration. Now, I'm just going to throw this out there, and then I'm going to move on. So just humor me. Let me throw my little lead balloon over the crowd tonight and let it fall down. I'm just telling you straight up right now that if God would have done the work in some people in our world right now that we know in our little circle, and they would have got puked up on uh, the sweet shores of deliverance, we would have said they're not worthy to go preach that message. God bless you. You're dismissed. Sorry, joker. Disobeyed God. Now he's stuck in the belly of that fish. He deserves everything he gets. He may have a fish for you too, babe. (laughs) My restoration may look like a fish. Your Your restoration may look like the backside of a desert or the cleft of a rock with the hand of God over it. But it doesn't matter to me what God did to Moses while he had him hid in the cleft of the rock. 
What matters is, he said, Moses, you can't see me while you're here. But when I'm through, you'll see my hinder part. In other words, you'll know that the whole time you've been in this place, I've been working. Jonah, it really doesn't matter what you went through in the belly of that fish, that well, so to speak. All that matters to me is that whatever it was God was trying to do in your life, he finally got through your thick skull and he got to working on you, Jonah. And all I want to know is, are you finally ready to say what God has told you to say? I know some of us think we've got this whole thing worked out, but you hear this preacher when I tell you that God is going to start resurrecting and bringing in. I, I, man, I feel a little something right here that probably needs to be dealt with in the Holy Ghost. But I'm just telling you, we're too close to the coming of the Lord. And God is about to start bringing some soldiers off the bench that have been wounded and have battle scars. I believe that God is about to start resurrecting some people that at one time fought in the army of the Lord and they got broke, busted, and disgusted and their life was turned upside down and people marked them off and threw them off in the gutter and said they're too broken for God to use but God's about to resurrect some broken people some people with battle scars and say that will be the army that's fighting at the coming of the Lord What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying you go ahead, sweetheart. You lay those cigarettes down tonight. You go ahead and lay that bottle down tonight. You go ahead and lay that pornography down tonight. Oh, God, help us tonight. Go ahead and lay down your battle scars. Let God elevate you and bring you back to a place of victory. Forgive me if I sound like I'm being ugly because I don't mean to be tonight. But while polished and professional Pentecostals are sitting back filing our nails and clipping our nails while the word's being preached and saying, well, if God's going to do it, he's going to use perfect little Patty Pentecost. I think maybe we've missed it. God's looking for somebody that said, I learned my lesson. I've been broken and now I'm ready to do the will of God. If there are any backsliders watching me tonight, live on the internet, I'm reaching out to you tonight through this camera. And I'm reaching for the wounded people. I'm reaching for the broken people. I'm reaching for people that churches have hurt your feelings and preachers have hurt your feelings. And you've been turned inside out. It's time for you to get back in the army and get re-enlisted. God's got a city that needs to hear your voice. I'm thankful for my testimony. I'm thankful that I was born and raised in the church. 
I'm thankful. I'm so thankful that my kids have a legacy and a pedigree in Pentecost. But you listen to what I'm telling you. There are people that have been raised around this that take for granted things that people who have lived, and please don't think I'm trying to be rude, but I'm saying they have lived a hell of a life. They have lived a life that has been controlled by the powers of hell and the demonic spirits of this world. People that have done things that would make you blush if you knew where they had been. And while we sit over here saying, but I've been good all my life. I've never left the church, but we don't want to hit the prayer room. You listen to me tonight. God will absolutely give up your seat in a place of power and a posture posture of prayer. If we don't want to go after it, God will send a drug at it that don't mind having a testimony. hurry and get where I'm going tonight (laughs) I grew up in this thing I've heard it please 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 don't 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 miss God because you think I'm being ugly I'm not at all tonight but I've heard people talk about well I've been in the way for 35 years it's probably true Probably have been in the way. Because you've bought yourself into the subculture of Christianity and the little subculture of Pentecost that we've got. And while we're trying to figure out how to make our shoes look better and get a little better tie and how to tie our knot just right and whatever, there's some dude tonight with holes in his jeans and no shoes on his feet somewhere. I was talking to a man of God this week, and I don't use that term loosely at all. I'm talking about a man of God that in the middle of this pandemic hadn't had anywhere to preach, really hadn't been a whole lot of preaching going on, been shut down in their area where they're at. And this man said to me, he said, brother, he said, I asked God what in the world I should do. And he said, the Lord just started dealing with my heart. And he said, I just got out every day, about an hour a day. And started just walking through my neighborhood and saying, Lord, order my steps. He said, I started walking out and -and so-and-so would be putting their trash out just as I walked by. What a coincidence, huh? The gentleman showed me a list of names. Had over 90 names right now. About 90 names of people that in the last few weeks, all he's done just by walking around in his neighborhood and touching people's lives. People don't want to talk to you. It's a pandemic. That's a lie from the pits of hell. People don't want to talk to you. They're scared to death to talk to you. If you really feel that way, then put your mask on and go tell somebody about Jesus. Oh. Yeah, but there's no stage lights in my neighborhood. It don't pay much. No, don't hear. (laughs) 
You know, come to think of it, I don't think I've ever got paid for teaching home Bible study. Tell you what I have done. I've spent money I didn't have to buy coffee and meals. Boy, this took a south turn on me, Brother Matthew. You mind being my bodyguard, bro? And he said, anytime. Well, this sure don't feel like restoration. Here's what God's waiting for. The vomiting fish moment comes when you're through wrestling. When you're through telling God that you don't think this is necessary and that's necessary. I don't think God expects that of me to go to heaven. It may not have anything to do with heaven. It may have to do with the fact that he wants you to be separated in this world so that when people look at you, they say, what's different about you? Because I knew you before God got a hold of you. And you're nothing like the man you were. Oh, It's impossible to dress the way you always dress and look the way you always looked and go the place that you always went. And people say God made a difference in you. The good news is I'm hurrying. The bad news is I have no clue what time I started, so stay with me. So comes the moment that the Lord causes the fish that he prepared. After three days to spit him up on the shore. But he didn't drop him off at the gate of Nineveh. If you read the story, he drops him off three days' walk from his destination. Because some of you think God's finished with you when you get spit out and you say, ooh, ooh, now's my time. No. God wanted three more days to see are you willing to walk what you've been talking? Were you talking... Were you talking to get out of that belly or were you talking because you repented? Were you talking to get the court case overturned? Were you talking to get your family back together? I know we think God's impressed with the way we tell him we're going to do things. But God gave him a three-day window to say, all right, son, I've heard your jaws. Now let me see your feet. Will you walk? No, no, no. Not, not, not that way, son. Nineveh. I know you're probably just disoriented because I just, but look right over that direction, right? You see that great city? That's where I've called you to. Now Walk. And for three days, Jonah's saying, what just happened? (laughs) I'm about to prophesy to somebody in here. God's about to move somebody to a place in your life that you're about to say, what in the world just happened to me? 
I thought God was done with me. I know I'm preaching. I feel that old angel up here with me right now. Somebody's about so what, 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 just, what, what, what just happened to me on this Sunday night. Did God really just pick me up, pour me out, throw my soul on the altar, walk through the ashes of what could have been, start resurrecting me, resurrecting dreams, ah, rebuilding ministry in me? Can we lift our hands to Jesus right now? Ah. Let me hurry. We're not going to lose anything right here. We're in a vein. I know some of you are wanting your restoration to look polished and pretty. But you may smell like fish guts and look like seaweed. But when you come out of that thing that you've been in, this wrestling match with God, here's what God has now worked out of you. You may have looked better before you went into this struggle. But you'd rather walk in stinky and messy and your flesh all tore up and been through what you've been through and do the will of God and know that even though I don't look like I could have looked if I would have stayed in the will of God. Lord, give me just one minute to polish my shoes and part my hair, and then I'll go preach. He said, no, I need you walking right now. I need you walking while you're wet. I need you walking while, while it's fresh on your mind. I need you walking while you're pulling strands of seaweed and fish guts out of your hair. I need you walking. And when people look at you, they're going to know you've been through some stuff, but I'm not through with you. I'm bringing this back to where I told you I'd come. If you do what you're supposed to do in true repentance, God's working somewhere else. And everything he does, he does for a reason. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to hurry, and I'm going to try to keep this very, very, uh, very, very, very close tonight. I'm going to try to keep this uh, re really close. But in about uh, 1851, reading some research, I believe it was 1851, there was an Englishman that was an archaeologist, very stately gentleman, and uh, he made his way to the Middle East to do some archaeological digs. Somebody just say this with me right now. God's working. Somebody say this. He's working where I can't see. Man, I, I just, maybe, maybe y'all start feeling what I'm feeling just moving around here right now. I know I'm a nightmare for our cameramen tonight, but I can't stand still. God's doing something that you don't even, you don't even know what he's doing right now. So this man, I believe it was 1851, thereabout, he goes to the Middle East, starts doing some archaeological digs, and 
they discover ancient ruins of what was the great city of Nineveh. Not even knowing that they were there, but they started finding things that let them know this was truly Nineveh. This is where the Assyrians were. This, I mean, this is, this is it. This is, they knew without a doubt. They started finding coins and all kinds. So they started digging and digging and digging. And finally, as they're digging, they find what they believe to be the palace and the temple of worship. And at the palace of the king, bishop, at the entrance of the king's palace... This Englishman said that posted there at the gates where the king would have walked in every day. There's usually traces of the idolatry, the gods that the king worshipped. And he said, as we discovered the, the, the palace where the king would have been, he said, at the gates of the palace, there were two uh, pretty much intact idols... I'm fixing a mess with some of you. Some of you are going to know immediately where I'm going. And they said, we discovered through the um, manuscripts and things that we found and confirmed that this Assyrian king in Nineveh was worshiping Dagon. Any of you remember the story of Dagon, the Philistine god, who apparently was also the Assyrian god? That when the Ark of the Covenant was set up in Dagon's temple, that Dagon fell flat on his face in two different occasions and busted him into pieces. But does anybody know what Dagon, does anybody remember what Dagon looked like? He was part man and part fish. And the likeness of this idol God was a fish and his head looked like the head of a man coming out of the mouth of a fish. And it was said that this mythological god, Dagon, at seasons to ancient elders would come up out of the water in the daytime and would begin to rightly expound wisdom to ancient men that understood who he was and what he was speaking. And when the sun would set, he would disappear and go right back off into the water. There had been sightings and they had talked about this God that was part man, part fish. And he would come out and he had the likeness of a man and the body of a fish. And he would speak to them. Now, some of, you, some, some of you have missed this because Disney made it cute. But it's called the Little Mermaid. We're, we're, uh, and we don't think the enemy's cute and smart. Isn't she cute? Isn't she precious? You know what she is? She's in the image and likeness of idolatry and witchcraft. And they always said, apparently, that if this fish comes up out of the water with the head of a man, he's full of wisdom. And you need to listen to what he's saying. And so three days journey from the gates of Nineveh. Some of the tribal people are standing around when all of a sudden this fish comes swimming up. Opens up his mouth. And the head of a man appears coming out of the mouth of this whale. <laughs> and all of a sudden people start piping up and saying... Did you see what I just saw? 
Somebody tells somebody else, and somebody says, hey, somebody said down here today that they saw washed up. There was a, a, a great fish that came up, and there was a man. This is what he looked like. It was crazy. A man came up, and, man, I, this must be him. This must be him. This must be him. And faster than Jonah can get to Nineveh, God sends somebody to Nineveh that says, he's here. This is who our king has told us to worship and to listen to, and he's here. I always wondered how was it that God would posture 600,000 people to be waiting at the gates to hear the voice of one preacher. But when you repent, God starts working on stuff that you had no clue he could work on. He said, if I can get you lined up, oh God have mercy. If I can get you to conquer your flesh while you're in the belly of that fish, when you come out of that thing, I would have conquered that spirit in the city you're going to. Now I'm getting ready to preach. I'm closing this thing down. But I'm going to preach prophetically. And I'm going to release some things into the atmosphere. And God is about to move in this place. And restoration is going to happen in this room before we leave this house tonight. I haven't looked at my watch. I haven't looked at my phone. I haven't looked at my iPad. I don't know what time it is. And to be honest with you, I really don't care right now. I know that somebody is about to get a touch from heaven. Here's what I'm saying to you. If God can get you lined up in the belly of that fish, I want to tell you that God is already working in that city that you're going to. And listen to what I'm saying. Please, please fill in some cracks for me here. Fill in some blanks. I'm not saying you're going to another city. I'm saying you're walking to the will of God. When you start working on you, God will start working on his will. You're still worried about how God is going to make 600,000 people listen. And God's saying, let me get you lined out and I'll take care of the 600,000 people. But they found... With their ears lifted when he walked through the gates of the city. That the words they were expecting to come out of the mouth of this idol God. When he opened up his mouth he said hear the words of the God of heaven. He said, your wickedness has come up before me. Listen to what I'm telling you. You don't think those people had absolute faith in the idolatry that they had worshipped? Read it for yourself. It said they took their pets. They took their animals and put them in sackcloth. They said, we want to line ourselves up so much we want our animals to repent. This is such a holy moment. We don't want Fido to miss out on this. We don't want the dog to miss out. He opens up his mouth. And he speaks not on the behalf of Dagon. He speaks on behalf of the God of Abraham. Of Isaac. And of Jacob. You want me to tell you why? Here comes the word of the Lord. Because all of these things that people have been worried about. How in the world are we going to show them truth? Oh my God, what are we going to do? What in the world are we going to do? Listen, listen, listen. God is always revealed when people are trying to reveal the power of their gods. You don't believe me? I could walk you through story after story. Let's go ahead and talk about those three Hebrew boys. What was the king trying to get them to do? To what? Idols. And what happened? God was revealed. Pastor, how are we going to have revival with all the idolatry in this world? Man, look at, look at all this crazy. Look at these sports figures. Look at all this. What in the world are we going to do? That's all right. 
Let God use them. Because God has been showing people over the last several months, these people that you have elevated as gods in this world, they're a bunch of cowards. I'm sorry if this sounds like I'm being a jerk. I don't mean to. But I saw a picture the other day of a certain NBA player that all these families let their kids worship. The dude got a cramp in his leg and it took four men to carry him off the court. Punk. Got a cramp in his leg and four people carrying him off the court and people cheering and clapping. And had two police officers in Los Angeles. One of them got shot in the face. She put a, put a rag on hers and a tourniquet on her neighbor. And people were... God's exposing the idolatry of this world. He's exposing it. And what he always does best is he'll show the people of this world. He's going to give them one more chance to show them. You just thought Dagon was powerful. You, you just thought that's where your answer came from. But I'm going to send a prophet that's going to declare to this nation, your answer is not in Dagon, but it's in the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. You can stand, you can stand. I just want us to wait right here on the Holy Ghost. I really shouldn't even have to give an altar call right now. God is exposing right now that the voices that people have been looking to for direction, that's not where they're going to find direction. But God's going to have to have holy men that when they start looking for direction, those men did not compromise and bow down to those same voices that the people of this world have been bowing down to. I know this sounds so far out there and stupid right now, but you got to imagine this is a picture of the church. If we're not careful, it would be just like Jonah getting spit out of the mouth of that fish, walking into, the, into Nineveh and seeing their Dagon on each side and bowing his face down to it and saying, now that's mighty. The people of Nineveh would have never heard the voice of the Lord if that preacher would have bowed his knee to the same gods they were. But God was doing a transformative work in the life of that prophet. They say, when you walk through the gates, you walk in there with surety and know that I am the Lord. I am God, and beside me there is none. And when you open up your mouth, you preach. And Jonah, oh, Lord, what if they receive it? What if they don't receive it? Don't you worry about if they don't receive it. I didn't send you there to be the judge of what they receive. I sent you there to give them the word. It has risen up before my nostrils as a stench. Here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that he will work 
who will let. He'll work. Pastor St. Clair, I just think this apostolic lifestyle is just, I think it's just a little bit too much. I, I'm, I'm not used to seeing that. I'm not used to people living like this. I'm, I'm just not used to that. He'll work. Who will let him work? I feel something so sovereign trying to happen in here right now. <laughs> Some of you have been in conversations with your flesh just this week. Starting to feel a little burned out, a little burnt out about some of the things that you've been doing. I don't know. It felt pretty good for a while. Now I'm just wrestling with it. I don't really know what to do. Don't even have that conversation. It's time. Jesus is coming back. He's assembling an army. And I don't care if you have been made impotent by wounds in the past. And you don't feel like you've got the strength to fight like you would have at one time. Just fight anyhow. Just bring the best that you've got and give it to God. Come on, bring him what you've got left over and give it to God. It's enough for a whole city to repent. It's enough if you'll bring God what you've got and let him work on it. Huh. This church ought to be crying out right now. Somebody ought to be surrendering to God right now. How long does it take to get cold in the Holy Ghost? How long does it take to get to where His Word don't move you anymore? I don't know, but if you found out that you've crossed that line, I'd be sure to do whatever I had to do to never cross it again. come on we're not reverting to our old man you don't have to completely leave the church to backslide you can move back in the direction of things that God delivered you from and there be an aberration in your ways and that's far enough hey Pastor, there's just things about the 21st century church that I don't, really, I don't really just, I don't jive with. Listen, I'd rather stay in the ship of safety, in the old ship of Zion, and be uncomfortable with some things that I don't, I don't really like than I would to be caught on the outside of this when the Lord comes back. Uh, he is reaching in this place tonight. Come on, how, how, how long are you going to make him reach for you, child of God? How long is he going to have to reach before you finally acquiesce? And say, God, I'm going to walk to the front of that church and I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to bow my knee at an altar of repentance tonight. And I'm going to give you the best that I have left. God, let there be a witness tonight. Let signs confirm your word tonight. 
You may think you're here tonight because of a mess. But I want to tell you, you're here because of a message. You're here tonight because God sent this preacher to this pulpit to tell you he's not finished with you yet. He's not done with you yet. He hasn't washed his hands of you. Pick up the pieces. Let him 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 pick up the pieces. it young folk <laughs> come on you can't afford to serve from the back lines right now he's enlisting soldiers that'll step to the forefront step out of your comfort zones Say, say, boy. 